0: Thank you, Brad. And again, good morning, everybody. So when was a time when reality did not meet your expectations? Maybe it was a vacation. Maybe it was a relationship. I can distinctly remember a moment when it happened to me. My aunt and uncle were watching. my, My parents, I think, were out of town. And my uncle, I can hear him saying it. He said, Chad, do you want to go See some boxing. Well, sure, I knew what was in my mind. I could see the two guys just slugging it out. You know, I could see them in the ring, pounding on each other. The desperate battle between two men fighting for their life. We get in the car and we go on a drive. And, and the next thing I know, we're, we're going to Dunbar, West Virginia, which to my mind... Didn't have any boxing rings, but maybe he knew something I didn't. Then we pull up behind a grocery store, which was even more kind of confusing and perplexing. Now I really didn't know what was going on. And then it hit me. He got out of the car. And he started digging through this dumpster. And he didn't say, Chad, do you want to go see some boxing? He said, Chad, do you want to go get some boxes? <laughs> so... What I had in my mind uh, was something totally different. There's going to be times in your life when reality does not match up with your expectations. I guarantee you people in this room are experiencing that right now. And Christ told his disciples, you better have your expectations set in a very specific and peculiar place. As a matter of fact, you'll see this morning that in the text he says, prepare for the world to hate you. And he told them why. He was was saying this to them. He said it down in verse 1 of chapter 16, I've said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. His fear was that in the darkness, the disciples would forget what they had learned in the light. That they would be so disenchanted they'd be tempted to walk away. That phrase literally means stumble in the darkness when things look bad they would get disenchanted with how the world was going life has a way of doing this and what i want to talk about this morning is how do i respond to a world that hates christians how do i respond to a world that hates christians and we don't quite have things up on the screen yet that's okay, because I've got it right in front of me. I'll read it out loud to you. Oh, yep, yep, yep. There was, there's it. That's in my mind. <laughs> Tyson knocking somebody out. Please stand with me for the reading of God's Word. We'll be starting in John chapter 15, John 15, starting at verse 18. Uh, John 15, starting at verse 18. If the world hates you, But the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without a cause. But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And you will also bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming When whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I have said these things to you that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. You may be seated. We're talking this morning from the book of John about Christ as our living hope. We say it again and again, and we say it week after week. And John wrote this book so that we would believe. We look in John chapter 20 verses 30 and 31, we see it written there, Therefore many other signs Jesus also performed in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. So this it, it's not working you guys can advance the slides. Thank you. So I want to talk through this morning, I want to talk through four questions that come from the text. First of all, well, what does the world hate? And then why does the world hate? And then, well, what should we expect and how should we respond? We'll go through those four questions this morning. So first of all, well, what does the world hate? And there's, there's three things here. First of all, it hates the words and works of Christ. It hates the words and works of Christ. All that could be uh, lumped into one. And Christ begins this passage with the phrase you see at the beginning, if the world hates you. Now, you've got to remember what he just had told them in verse 17. There was a command there to love each other. They were going to have to love each other in verse 17. So we head in the next section with Christ having just told them about the imperative of love. and We quickly move from love to hate. Now, he says, look again in verse 18, John 15, 18. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. Now, we got to understand, what is he talking about when he says the world? It's this word cosmos. And it's used throughout the scripture to to describe the world and the masses of unbelievers and the systems that they create. Jesus called these disciples out of the world. They're no longer part of that massive unbelief but this is the world this is the world's way of doing things this is the world telling you how you should live and always trying to suck you back into its way of doing things telling you what gives you value your money your power your looks your job that's the world's way of thinking it's the evilness of the world and jesus making it clear have this expectation that world will hate you. And he wouldn't proceed with all that he's about to say. Notice he said if. He's operating on the assumption they will hate you. And, it will, and it's going to hate him. He goes on in verse 19. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. So these disciples, as they are abiding in Christ, as they are producing the fruit of the Spirit, as they are looking more and more like Christ, they're going to be more and more hated by the world. They'll be hated for the same reasons Jesus is hated. Take another look at this fruit of the Spirit, because as this is being produced in these disciples... They'll be hated more and more. Look at Galatians 5, and 23. Paul talks about this fruit again, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against these things, he says, there is no law. And you got to ask, well, why would you hate this person? Like, what, what is there in this list of attributes that would make you hate this person. Well, this is a person who also calls sin, sin. Now, see, oftentimes I can delude myself. And this, by the way, this model of the church has been proven to not work. If we make things look a certain way, if we make it as attractional as possible, then people will come. The, the only reason people, more people aren't coming to church is because, well, we're just not nice enough. We're not just... Fill in the blank. If we were just a little nicer. If we could just make it a little bit more whatever. Then they would come. They would flock to Christ. But Jesus is making it clear. You will incur hatred from the world. There's a portion in the masses of society that will never accept the things of Christ. I love the way uh, one scholar, Pink, he put it this way. He said, the inexperienced Christian supposes that the hatred of the world against him is a reproach. He thinks that he or she is to blame for it. He imagines that if he were only kinder, more gentle, more humble, more Christ-like, the enmity of unbelievers would be overcome. This is a great mistake. The truth is the more Christ-like we are, the more we shall be antagonized and shunned. The most conclusive proof of this is found in the treatment which our blessed Savior received when he was in the world. Now see, if if you find yourself deluded at times with the Christian faith, why is it like this? Why is there suffering? Why am I going through this suffering? You probably have a misplaced expectation level. This helps us see where Christ would have us put our expectations in relation to the world. Jesus then starts verse 20 with a command. Look at 1520. Remember, he says, remember the word I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. So Jesus has commanded them to remember What he'd said to them back in chapter 13, verse 16. Remember, he washed their feet. He washed their feet. He said, now you do likewise to serve each other. Now he's using that same verse to explain why they're going to be persecuted. Because they are not above their master. What happens when a master's hated. See, it used to be that if, if you had servants, the people would treat your servants with the same level of respect they would treat you. You know, if, if they love you, they would love your servants. But what happens when the master's hated? What's going to happen to the servants then? Now, on the flip side, some believe Christ, and, and, and some will believe his disciples as well. That's why we keep sharing the good news of Christ. Because there are some who are going to believe. But God makes it clear that his servants will be hated by the world. And, and then third, the world hates the righteous, and for no just cause. Look down at verse 25. You see, all that's happened regarding the treatment of Christ was it was foretold. In 1525, but the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without a cause. That's a quotation from uh, the book of Psalms. David laments what happens. As he looks around and see how he's being treated in Psalm 35, 19, it says, Let not those rejoice over me who are wrongfully my foes, and let not those wink the eye who hate me without cause. And again in 109, 3, Psalm 109, verse 3, they encircle me with words of hate and attack me without cause. In other words, the world hates for no just reason. It's unfair. It's not fair. But where in the Bible did Jesus ever say you should expect your life to be fair? That you should be treated fairly? Life is not fair. So the world has its objects of hate. But why? Why does the world hate there are two reasons that come from this passage. First of all, it's because they reject God. They reject God. Look at verse 21 15, 21. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name because they do not know him who sent me. Now, in addition to being hated because he'd called the world to repentance, he'd shine the light on the darkness. Jesus now states the disciples, on account of Christ, will be persecuted. And I, it's interesting, I, I posted that, that quote from Arthur Pink, I, quoted on, I put on my Facebook page uh, earlier in the week, and a friend of mine from seminary got on, got on there and said, well, what if they persecute you because you're a jerk? <laughs> are there Christians that are jerks? Unfortunately, you know, we're all in different stages of the sanctification process, and <laughs> yeah, and sometimes it's the guy that's smiling right now. But that's a different kind of persecution, Jesus said, you're going to be persecuted on account of me and what I did and what I said and who I am. They're going to persecute you because they're not going to believe you. And Christ says, because they don't know him who sent me. Jesus is talking here about those who are spiritually blind. Remember that every time you get out and you walk on Main Street and you're looking at how people are acting in a restaurant, you are walking with the dead the spiritual zombies, those who are walking around in darkness that are just going along with what they believe to be right and true, what the world is telling them. Paul talked about these folks in Romans 1.28. He said, and since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. So these are people who put God out of their minds. God's responding judgment was to abandon them to those minds. This is who Jesus is talking about here. It's like, this is like rejecting the love of a parent who's telling you what to do and you don't want to hear it. They knew that it would be harmful for you. Why? You want to do what you, you want to do. That leads us to this second reason the world hates us it's because God exposes their deeds. God exposes their deeds. Look at the next two verses, because with the coming of Christ came a deep level of awareness of their own sins. And twenty-two and twenty-three, if I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin, but now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. Now at first glance, you may be thinking, Well, like would be better if he hadn't have come. I mean What's happening here, if he'd never shown up, there would be no, no sin, but that's not what he's saying. Christ explained his presence has served as a confirmation to their sin and rebellion. And that phrase, they would not have been guilty of sin, you could translate it, they would not have sinned. They had direct revelation from God himself, but they rejected him. They heard his words, they saw his works, and their guilt lies directly on them. Verse 24 further explains what he said in the previous two, in 1524. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin, but now they have seen and hated both me and my Father. If they treated the Son this way, they're treating the Father that way. If they reject and hate the Son, they reject and hate the Father. The Son is the exact representation. Remember, Jesus is the Logos. He is the heart and the mind of God out there walking around. And if they're hating me, they're hating the heart and mind of my Father. In Jesus' words, they heard the words of God. In His works, they saw the works of God. And Christ freely acknowledges that He's hated. He's felt it. He's experienced it. But why? He says it actually back in... Chapter 7, verse 7. He said, the world cannot hate you, but it hates me. He's talking to his brothers here, by the way. His brothers who are still part of the world. They're not believers yet. He said, "They, they cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify about it that its works are evil. And Jesus is talking to his brothers. You're part of the world. People don't like being told that they're wrong. I get it. I've come to really hate scales. (laughs) You know what? They tell the story. There's no line. If you get on a well-calibrated scale, it it says, Chad, you haven't been eating right. You haven't been exercising like you should be. There it is. There's no denying it. You can't get around it. I like cookies. (laughs) I don't want to deal with the consequences. The scale exposes that. God exposes sin, and it doesn't always feel good, and the older I get, the more sinful I realize that I am. Just about a week ago, I I said something, I said it in public, and I just drove away thinking, I I deserve hell. (laughs) I absolutely deserve it. It's God and His grace that saved me from what I deserve. But He doesn't just expose it. He gives us the antidote to sin. It's the blood of His own Son, which He's freely and joyfully extending forgiveness to every sinner if they'll just trust in what He did. But what happens? Imagine you're floating down a river having the best time you've ever had in your entire life. You're in that that inner tube. It's a warm, sunny day. You've, You've got a... A rope extended to another inner tube that's got all your favorite snacks in it and, and, and everything, and it's it's just glorious. And there's a waterfall coming. And somebody's screaming at you, do you not see this waterfall coming? You don't want to hear it. You're having too good a time. This is what happens to people who deny the gospel. This world is just way too good, it's way too fun. I like it too much. I'm going to plug my ears. I'm going to drown you out. I'm going to ignore the sound of that waterfall that's coming. People know the world is broken. But they love their lives. They don't grab the life preserver. So then what should we expect, both from the world and from God, according to this passage? Two things. First of all, expect persecution expect persecution we've already looked at verse 20 jesus said if they persecute me they'll persecute you And then he says in chapter 16 verses 1 and 2 he said i've said all these things to keep you from falling away they will put you out of synagogues indeed the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to god and jesus is making it clear you're going to be ostracized by society you may be killed and we talked about earlier what it meant to be excommunicated from the temple. You'd lose your job, you'd lose your family, you'd lose your friends. This is where he says, Christian, you need to set your calibration of expectation. In the book of James, it was written later, it was written to Christians that were on the run. That early, Christ, that, that early church knew the meaning of persecution. And these persecutors who would kill the disciples, they're not going to do it believing themselves to be criminals or that they were guilty for taking others' lives. They think That's how twisted it is. They think they're glorifying God. Jesus would be crucified for blasphemy. He said he was God. Now, that either had to be true or it was a lie. It had to be one or the other. They chose not to believe him. That early church was persecuted. Not really because they were Christians, they, they were accused of being cannibals. Huh? Yeah, they, they eat the body and they drink the blood. They were accused of incest because they called their wives and husbands, they were also brothers and sisters in Christ. And when persecution comes, they've actually figured out a way uh, to classify it. It comes in waves. It comes in increasing form. And this is from FaithWorks. If you work your way from the top left to the bottom right, you know we Americans, have been, we've been so blessed to enjoy, uh, for the most part, freedom from persecution. And brothers and sisters around the world, it's not been that way. But when, you're in, when school starts back, and you're living a way that your friends don't understand, whether you're in college or elementary school or junior high or high school, this is what persecution it starts with disapproval then it moves to ridicule then pressure to conform then loss of educational opportunities you may not get into that college you thought you would get into because of your beliefs it can turn into economic sanctions could look like taxes shunning alienation from the community there's a loss of employment then loss of property and they can get physical physical abuse Mob violence, one of, the very, one of the things that changed Roman culture was when a woman, a pregnant woman was dragged out of her house and beaten for being a Christian. And then they started asking the question, the spirit was convicting them, what are we doing here? Harassment by officials, now it, it's a, on, a, on a national government level, kidnapping, forced labor, imprisonment, ultimately resulting in physical torture and then murder. These are the levels. This is the progression of of persecution. Honestly, I I fear at times, and and, and I don't know uh, if it's right or not. I I fear for school teachers. Uh, I was speaking to one not long ago who shared with me that she didn't believe that she could, with impunity in her classroom, not call a student by their preferred gender pronoun. It's ambiguous. I've I've not spoken with the superintendent to verify that. It's not hard to believe. But in the training that she had to take, that's how it appeared to her. Are we prepared to help them if they lose employment for standing up for Christ? Expect persecution, but don't just expect persecution. Also expect help. Expect help from God In verses 26 and 27 of chapter 15, But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me, and you will also hear witness. Bear witness, I'm sorry. And you will also bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. God is going to send us help. We'll talk about this. He'll go to this more fully as chapter 16 continues. But you will get a Helper. You have a Helper if you've trusted in Christ God himself is indwelling you, and he's helping you, and he's giving you the words. That's the second promise of the Holy Spirit, to help us speak the truth about God. So then how should we respond to a hostile world? As God's people, empowered by the Holy Spirit, we should first of all respond truthfully, respond with truth. Even when it's hard, even when somebody's challenging you, do you mean to say that you believe this be honest. We got to be courageous. It should go without saying, but when the world, and we're talking about oftentimes the people we love here, right? These could be co-workers and family members and our next door neighbors, people we've known for decades. That's who we can be talking when we're talking about the world, the unbelievers, and they may say, you know what, pro-life, it means that you hate women. And we say, no, it doesn't. It means You love the life that God has created at the moment of conception. And it was Christianity that that actually liberated women. Do you know this? They were treated like property in in ancient Middle Eastern, in in the ancient Near Eastern times. And Jesus said, No, in me, there's neither male nor female, meaning one is not respected over the other. And when the world says it's okay to live out God's plan for sexuality. We say no it isn't. God designed gender and sexuality. When the world says there's many ways to heaven, we say no there's not. There's only through Christ that you it's only through Christ that you can get to heaven. And then second, we respond truthfully. We also respond lovingly. The people are not our enemy. People are not our enemy. No matter who they are affiliated with? People are not our enemies. It's the world of flesh and the devil; those are our enemies. We respond lovingly to people, but but see, even what we call love, what the world calls love, are not the same thing. What the world would say is, if you love, then you must tolerate; you must live in this state of tolerance. But love is not the same as tolerance. I love what Josh McDowell's written about this. He said, "Tolerance says you must approve of what I do, but love responds." I must do something harder. I will love you even when your behavior offends me. Tolerance says you must agree with me. Love responds, I must do something harder. I will tell you the truth because I'm convinced the truth will set you free. Tolerance says you must allow me to have my way. Love responds, I must do something harder. I will plead with you to follow the right way because I believe you are worth the risk. Tolerance seeks to be inoffensive, and love takes risks. Tolerance glorifies division. Love seeks unity. Tolerance costs nothing. Love costs everything. It may cost you your own life. So when they hate us, we do not respond with hate. We respond with love. And Christ was the supreme example of that. So putting this all together, respond with truth and love. To the hate you receive from the world, respond with truth and love. To the hate you receive from the world, I want to close this morning with a prayer. It's, you may have heard it before. It's called the Serenity Prayer. And we need some serenity. It was, it, it was written originally by Reinhold Niebuhr. Uh, he was a Reformed theologian. He was a professor at Union Seminary. It's, it's taken. Um, it's been added on to over the years, and I, I believe it captures the kind of wisdom that God would have us to live with. And I pray this prayer often, not every day, but I do pray it often. But what I'd like to do, I'd like you to read this off the screen with me. But as you're reading it, don't just read it, but actually make this a prayer from your heart to the throne room of heaven. Okay, let's, let's read this together. Prayer for serenity. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change and supremely happy with you forever in the next amen and amen i want to thank you all so much for being here this morning we don't have sunday school today but i'm going to urge you not to just rush out the door um i would urge each of you you know we got some snacks out there in the foyer and so if you would ask somebody what was the highlight of your summer ask somebody that before you live offer that before you leave offer that information to somebody else What was the highlight of your summer? Have a wonderful Sunday. Remember, Labor Day next weekend. We won't be having Sunday school. It will resume on September 11th when we have two services. Have a wonderful day. If you're in need of prayer, feel free to join me up at the front. Otherwise, we'll see you soon. Thanks for being here.